once your eyes are open again and sort of you, you, you keep the spark, you know, that feeling is still there. And I think if you have that re genuine curiosity of the things around you and if you really have the potential of seeing the beauty in things, um, it helps you to be better at anything. Welcome to the Creative Leadership Podcast. My name is Mark. And I'm Ryan. And today we interview Think Facilitator Hype Worthbein on the importance of being on a journey. How could you tell us the story of your name? I'm named after a saint, Saint Hubert, Saint Hubertus, and he um, spotted the deer with the, the, the cross somewhere in the forest in Belgium. And I think he's a protector of, well, at least the hunters, but also I think travelers or something. Um, no particular reason why I'm named after him. My, my parents thought it was crisp and short and really didn't think about that I would work a lot in English and non-Dutch speaking because it's very impronounceable for non-Dutch speakers. And as a child, I wanted to be called Tim or, or Jack or something like English sounding, but now I'm happy with it. Even in, in the Netherlands, where it's more common. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I thought yeah. it was not cool. Hmm. And what does your business card read, or what do, would you like it to read? What would you like mm. to call yourself? Um, I think it, in one word it would probably be mentor, because I blend between coaching and advising and teaching and all that sort of stuff. And if you want to sort of overarch it, I think mentor would capture it most. What uh, would be three reasons why you do what you do? Well, the, f the first and foremost, because I really enjoy doing what I do. Um, I like to be able to make a difference. Um, I like to be relevant, but in a different way than I thought I was relevant while I was working for corporate. And that relevance is, you can really tell by people that sort of, you know, that start to, you know, oh, the I get it sort of thing. Um, people that like to be in my company ask my advice. Um, I think the deep down reason why I, I do this is that I like oh. to bind people sort of in my, well, emotional neighborhood. Um, because being left by people is something that I really can cope with very difficultly. And now we get to choose one of those reasons so you can expand. Mark, anything uh, strike you there? Um, yeah, it's always about people in this case. But um, yeah, the, the binding people and, and the fear of losing. I would love to know more about that. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Um, well, I know how it happened. I mean, when I was four years old, uh, my mom, my brother and I had a car accident, um, a serious one. And my mom and I were taken to s s different hospitals. And she, at some point, you know, was in a really bad state and, you know, didn't make it in that sense. And she, she went through the tunnel, the light at the end, et cetera, et cetera. And at some point, apparently, in her um, state, I came and I grabbed her back, Mom, you can't go yet. And I apparently had the same experience, but in a hospital, you know, 20 kilometers further. And probably somewhere on that moment, I, I have sort of said, this never again. So I get really panicky if people sort of, 
you know, don't respond to, to WhatsApp for like two days, you know, I, I start to get crazy. So if you really want to bug me, that's how you do it. Um, so yeah, I have this, this sort of, you know, gather people around me thing, um, which is, is, is a nice, th which is a nice thing to have. And I also know now why that is. So I can be more and more relaxed about it because people don't leave. You were you mentioned mentorship, uh, being a mentor. Could you could you tell us about uh, someone that, that means a lot to you as a mentor, and why? Um, <clears throat> yes, um, Valentine is. Um, he's been my coach since class six, uh, and uh, we still talk, and he uh, he really understands me. Um, so we just need like a few words and then he just calms me down and sets me straight. Do you try to imitate your mentors in, in the way that you mentor others? Um, in a way, yes. My, in my high school, my headmaster, he was also teaching history and theology. And he was a great theater maker as well in his class. And um, when I was very young, I think 13, I asked him, first class also in theology, I asked him the question, does Adam have a belly button? And he said, ooh, this kid is interesting at least. So um, he, uh, over the six years, he took, took special interest in me and special care of me. And I, we still see each other very often. And what he did is really trigger curiosity, um, but also add in the theater uh, into teaching, which I think is, is really important. And if you're genuine about really wanting to share the knowledge that you have, I think students or participants you know, will, are aware of it, and, and they, will, they will learn stuff or experience stuff because they see that you really sort of mean well for them and they will, they, they will, they will do it. Uh, so yes, the, the, the theater part and the raise curiosity, um, um, rather than feeding them knowledge, it's sort of awakening them to, to sort of to, to take it themselves. Now how do you balance that? Because as a mentor, um, as you say, you're both a coach and an advisor almost. Yeah. Uh, where on the one hand, as a coach, that is more of a questioning and a letting people figure it out themselves role. Mm -hmm. Whereas as an advisor, sometimes you just have to say what is. Mm -hmm. How do you balance those two things? I just, I don't know, I just do. Um, I think also in, in advisory, it's important that you, that you bring out the strength of the, of, of the board or the people themselves. Um, because they have, they, they, they have the content, they have the knowledge, they, they, they know what they're doing. Um, so in general, I think my advisory is even, is pretty much, you know, letting them come up with the answer. Unless the shit really hits the fan, and that sometimes happens, then, um, um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll sort of point out where the borderline is. Um, I like to put... You know, in, in, in an organization, 
you always have to sort of put a fence around it. So what is allowed, what's not allowed type of thing. You know, what, what do we feel is, is okay, what's not. And I like to put the fence as wide as possible because within the fence you can play and, and fool around and, you know, the, which fosters creativity and, and, and um, responsibility, all those things. Uh, but once sort of they, they cross the fence, then it's boom, you know, I'm, I'm, then I'm uh, maybe not so friendly as, as you would think. Now you um, you had attended Think Class Six, yes, and your uh, facilitator. Do you feel that the experience attending Think uh, helped you become a better facilitator? Oh yes. How so? Uh, well, not just a better facilitator. I think it has helped me becoming a better person. Um, I th it Class Six and the experience that I had then, you know, allowed me again to be totally amazed by everything that's, that's what is around me. And then once your eyes are open again and sort of you, you, you keep the spark, you know, that feeling is still there. And I think if you have that re genuine curiosity of the things around you and if you really have the potential of seeing the beauty in things, um, it helps you to be better at anything, including facilitation. And if you really, uh, well, facilitation, I think you need, you really need to be you know, interested or even almost in love with with sort of participants. You don't you think? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, and I think also it, uh, class six and the whole, whole experience around it allowed me to follow my own path, uh, design you know my own future, which I did. Um, I didn't know where it would end, and I still don't, but. You know, I just enjoyed the journey very much. And I think that's, it allowed me to detach from sort of the perks from, from corporate, the status thingies, uh, all of that that was connected to it. I'm, I'm totally, you know, off that now. What is it now? Seven years later almost. Recovering corporate man. Yeah. Yeah. Rehabilitating. Rehabilitating. Re well, I'm... I'm <laughs> I'm detoxed. I'm done. <laughs> Do you, um, so you mentioned corporate and uh, the, the, the feeling that you get often when people mention corporate is, is, is that it has a bit of a negative sort of ring to it in terms of uh, how it can affect people's lifestyles and choices. I'm, I'm curious what, what your take on that is because uh, we even joked about it just yeah. now. We said recovering corporate, but what, what does it mean? Well, in fact, I, I had a really, I, I worked 17 years in corporate and I really had a good time uh, for the most part. What I think only the last year was, was a struggle uh, because I knew I was, wanted to do something different and it took them a year to find replacement. If you're sort of in a position for a year that you don't want to be in, then that's, that's quite, a, quite some time. Um, no, corporate is full of amazing, talented, smart, nice people. But looking back on, on all the things I thought were very important, and I have, still have drawers full of you know, tombstones and that sort of stuff, I hardly can remember anything of that. You know, the, all of the sort of the stuff that was millions or billions, um, it's just very irrelevant. Um, yeah. Having said that, I had a good time. I traveled the world, made friends, learned a lot of stuff, and I still keep the dividend of, of those years. And I, I, I need it in the work that I'm doing today. If I work with 
especially for the custom programs with corporates or with boards, um, sort of the boardroom experience I have is, is crucial. Um, I know it makes them tick, I know their language, I know their, not just, just the verbal language, also their body language. And um, no, I could, I, I, I wouldn't have missed it, no. You went on this journey and how did that, how did that start? And what kind of moments do you recognize in that journey? Um, well, there was a very clear moment, actually a year before I, I stopped in my last corporate job. And um, I was in um, China for a wedding, and Niels and I uh, went to see the Forbidden City. The Forbidden City has like pagodas sort of lined after each other, and in the, on the roof there is, all of them have Chinese characters. And with one, um, I said, the thing sort of hit me, I said, what is this? And the guide, she said, oh, it's interesting you ask, it's Wu Wei, it means do nothing. And at that time, I was struggling very hard in corporate, working very hard, and sort of said, ah, oh, that one is for me, so do nothing, not meaning sort of, you know, sit on the sofa and just relax, but sort of letting things go with the flow. Um, and after one, po after one point, I asked the guide, so what's your favorite, you know, place in this Forbidden City? And she took us to a small bamboo garden, uh, which used to be the private garden of Puyi, which is the last emperor. So I asked her, what did they do with him during the Cultural Revolution? And she said, that, well, they made him a gardener, they didn't kill him, and he also could still, you know, write or paint characters, which is apparently sort of a thing that, you know, emperors or imperial family members do. And um, so I asked her also, is there still any family left? She said, yes, two cousins, one in Beijing and one in Vancouver, but we really never see them. They, t they really have a um, they low, um, um, how do you call that? Uh, they, they don't capture the public eye very much. Um, but what they still do is they're still both character painters. So she was talking a little bit with Niels, and I went off to some sort of room uh, which was adjacent to the, um, the garden, and there was a guy behind a desk uh, working, and he sort of asked me to come closer. And then the guy came after me, because clearly not the uh, intent that I was going into that room. And then she sort of grabbed her, her face, he said, oh my god, because that apparently was the cousin of Puyi, the last emperor. So he, he called me closer, and he was working, he was painting, mm -hmm. and he was painting a character, and of course, what was he painting? Wu Wei, the same one. Um, and he asked me, would you like to have it? So, you know, if you're like called, you know, that powerful on, on that message within 15 minutes, mm -hmm. um, it sort of hit me like, like lightning, basically saying, dude, I mean, stop it. I mean, what you're doing, I mean, just let it go and go with the flow, and don't just lean on the saw so much, just you know, find, the, find your spot. And actually, right there and then, I decided to quit. Um, because if, you know, you need a message from the emperor, from the cousin of the emperor of China to, to stop it, you better listen. And the rest is history, that's why I'm here. Is it difficult to quit? Um, Yes, but it also gave energy. I mean, once I quit, uh, two weeks later, I got a call from, you know, also from KPN. Uh, would you like to come to do your, your previous job with us? 
And uh, I said, nope. And I, you know, at the, it, it was hard because you sort of, you think you're falling overboard and somebody's tossing you, you know, the, um, how do you call it? Uh, rescue lifeline. lifeline. But it felt so powerful to say no, because this is not the time. Um, it was difficult to let go of um, some of the hierarchy thoughts. You know, you're, people often think he is a board member of such and such rather than he is whatever his name is. Or he is making 200,000 rather than he's doing important things for the world. Um, before that was out of my system, it took a couple of years. But now it is. I mean, I still see that people can do important stuff also in corporate. But it's not necessarily that it's in corporate or that they make, you know, whatever 100,000 doing it. If you could mentor corporate, just that as a very general term, like what would you change? What, what would be some things that, that, that would make it a better place? Um, well, I do, in fact, in, in some of the corporate programs. Um, they're very much in their head. It's, it's a very rational uh, environment. Um, and there is little room for heart, or even worse, guts. Um, so what I do in, in some of the corporate work I do, I, I use a lot of the trust equation stuff. Um, because it, it, that also hinges so much on intimacy and uh, um, self-observation, self-orientation. Self yeah. So just for our listeners who, do, who aren't familiar with it, the trust equation equals credibility plus reliability plus intimacy divided by self-orientation. Exactly. We'll, yeah. uh, we'll have a link available so you yeah. can take the trust equation yourself. Yeah. Um, and it always resonates. So over the past years, and I know after corporate, you, you set up your own venture. Yeah. Um, you started doing more of the uh, mentoring and coaching work. Um, what are the... Um, usually there's something on the horizon that people are striving after. I feel that it might be less so now for you. I'm not sure. Is there a goal that you're striving after, or is there a route that you took to change that? Um, no, there's no real goal. Um, I mean, the goal is to a certain extent still, still the way, do nothing. Just let, let life sort of feed you what is yours. Um, and I'm alert, I'm awake, I see what's going on, and I'll, I'll jump to things that, that sort of resonate to me. Um, and I think I'm exactly at the right junction right now that I can do angel investing stuff, I can do mentoring, I do, can do coaching, I can do facilitation, while also having time for my friends, for Niels, for my family, um, you know, do sports, do classical singing, enjoy the city. Um, it just seems very balanced, and I'm just very grateful that it all panned out this way. I'm really grateful. And I think with, with what I'm doing now, I'll, I'll be turning 50 next week, I can continue to do this for, you know, another 30, 40 years. I mean, it's, why not? So the concept of, uh, I was talking to somebody the other day, the concept of the end of a career, does mm. that make any sense to you? No. <laughs> no, really doesn't. I mean, what's a, what's, what's a career? I mean, if career means you know, filling your life with meaningful, interesting, and fun stuff, um, 
then end of her career is death, I guess. Um, but if it means doing stuff you get paid for, then you're just missing out on so much, which, which is also relevant in, you know. So then pension becomes a very different thing. Totally, totally, yes. Um, and I think pension, for many people, I hope for many people, it can, can bring them and give them the time and the opportunity to do the things they really want to do. Unfortunately, very often, you see, you see the opposite, that people are sort of, you know, are sort of disoriented. Oh, oh my God, what now? You know, do I have to sit home with you know, the husband or the wife? Uh, how am, am I going to fill my time? So I think it would be, if people just fill their lives with, with corporate jobs and nothing else, then it's, it's, it's going to be tough. So try to be as diverse and multifaceted as, as possible and just, just do things, even if you, you know, that, 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 that gratify you, that fulfill you with, with, with joy or purpose, for that matter. And that could be anything. I'm wondering, one of the things that I notice as a facilitator who's never taken the THINK program is just how tight and close-knit the class becomes so yeah. quickly. I'm wondering if, if that's, still, that's still something for you, that you're still very close to your class and how you maintain the connection with them. I am. Um, some of them really became very, very intimate friends. And the class as a whole also is, is important. Um, I sometimes miss being in the bubble because we're physically so far away from each other. Um, but when we see each other either at festival or, you know, we have already done two modules ourselves, so we're now working on module seven. Um, yeah, no, it, 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 it feels like family and also, referring to what I said earlier, a family that won't leave, uh, won't check out. Um, so that, that, was, that feeling of belonging was really important to me. And maybe additionally, since I, you know, I don't have any, any children myself, um, but still, I mean, you as a human being are equipped with the ability of passing on things that are important, of teaching, of loving, of, you know, caring for other people. Most do that for their own children and family. And if you don't have that other than my husband in this case, you know, it still has to find its way, and it, it finds its way. And... Um, maybe that's, maybe to end with, also one of the reasons why I do what I do. Well, that cannot do anything else but bring us to our lightning round. That's right. And our lightning round starts with uh, any kind of recommendation that you have, uh, uh, any type of cultural experience, could be a book, a movie, a museum, something that you'd love for someone listening to this to experience themselves. Um, yes. What comes to mind is one of John Anderson's masterpieces, um, Magnolia. I'm not sure if you have seen the movie. Uh, first of all, it's, it's a magnificent, magnificent movie. I would recommend anybody to see it. But there is one song in there, and it is about, it's not what you thought, um, you have finally made it. It's not what you thought when you first began. 
Basically what it says is, it's not going to stop until you wise up. So in other words, the lesson, you know, things will repeat itself until the lesson is learned. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful song. It's a beautiful song. Amy Mann. Amy Mann, yeah. that's right. So the song in combination with the movie is just, it's really nice. And then, is there any habit that you have, a ritual, something that you do on a daily or regular interval? Yes. Um, every morning at six, um, we get up and we sit out on the balcony uh, enjoying, even if it's November, doesn't matter. Um, we have a lovely sort of park-like garden uh, behind our house with birds and everything. We make coffee, just check in, how are you? Uh, make coffee, Niels goes, goes to the gym and then I have sort of an hour for myself uh, in which I just you know, put in some classical music, make the bed, have another coffee, and really sort of count my blessings, what's on for today, what was on yesterday, what went well, what did not go well. And uh, basically check in either, I don't know, with, is it God? I don't know, but with the, the universal system, and hey, I'm here, I'm ready for another one. Cool. Very cool. That's great that you run kind of a, a checklist similar to how we run a checklist before a, a day of training, but you do it with yourself, which is really cool. Yes. Yeah, it is sort of a, a check-in with myself, yes. Yeah. yeah. Fantastic. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you, Hub. Great. Thank you. you this has been the Creative Leadership Podcast. My name is Rye. And mine is Mark. And we'll see you next time. Or actually, we won't. We will hear you next time.